0: Good open uh, with prayer, and we'll look at the scripture today. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for each person that's here. We thank you for your word and what you have to show us. And as we lead up to your celebration of your resurrection, uh, we just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, so celebration of resurrection, the one thing that makes Christianity very different from all other religious out there is the founder is still alive. <laughs> Still alive, an empty grave. And uh, last week we talked about the triumphant entrance into Jerusalem, which usually is preached on today, Palm Sunday. (laughs) But I wanted to talk about something else today. So we're going to look. We've mentioned in the past that the majority of the Gospels, or maybe not the majority, but the large portion of the Gospels, 37%, is about the last week of Jesus' life. And. that gives us a picture of how important the, the Apostle saw this last week. And a lot of things happened. He, he came in with a triumphant entry. He drove the money changers out of the temple for the second time. Uh, he made the scribes and pharisees really angry with him by his preaching. Uh, the, the, uh, Judas Iscariot went to sell him out for the price of a slave. Uh, you've got the Garden of Gethsemane. You've got him preaching, preaching often. And then you have the scourging, and the crucifixion, and then the resurrection. And so lots of things happen. And we're going to be looking today at Luke chapter 22. And we're going to be looking at the the last, the Passover that Jesus celebrated with his disciples, which we know he elevated into the Lord's Supper. And when I actually planned on doing it, I forgot that this was actually communion Sunday, so it's actually a perfect week to be doing it. So we're gonna look at this, Luke 22, starting at verse one. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the 12, and he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might be, betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover, that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where will you that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when you enter into the city, there shall be a man meet him bearing a pitcher of water, follow him into the house where he enters in. And you shall say unto the good man of the house, The master has said unto you, Where is the guest chamber where we shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And, I, and he shall show you a larger upper room furnished Make there make ready. And they went and found as he said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down with the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, with desire I have desired to eat this of Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the wine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given unto you this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament of, in my blood, which is shed for you. All right, we're gonna stop there because then it goes into the portrayal of, of Judas. We wanna look at this. This is a big event that's going on because Jesus was going to be the, Paso- the actual Passover lamb. And we wanna just kinda go back a little bit in history the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt, and you remember God performed the, the nine plagues on them at the first, and then the last one was gonna be the death of the firstborn children. The death of every child and animal, for that matter, that was not in a building with the blood of the Passover on, marked on the doors. And if, what they did is they took this lamb and they examined the lamb. They brought the lamb and made it a pet for four days. Um, if any of you have ever been around farming, you know farming. Usually, when you have an animal that you're going to kill, you don't name it. You don't make it a pet. It's out in the field. It's out in the yard because when you name it, it makes it more difficult to have it sitting on the on the table. You know, uh, here here's Penny Penny sitting on our table. You know, we've been playing with her for know for six months you know and the kids don't tend to like their pet sitting on the table so but the Passover lamb was brought into the family for four days to be examined to become attached to in many ways because it was to be a sacrifice for that family and this was done and we're at the point where the lamb has been examined This is one of the reasons I believe Jesus ministered for four years, not the three years that most people talk about because I believe he was examined by the people for four years to match the Passover lamb. Now, that's just my speculation on applying the the Passover lamb to, to his life, you know, take it for what it's worth. But Jesus has been examined by the people in ministry. He's done miracles. He's taught them. Many of them have fallen in love with him. Many have hated him. (laughs) And he comes in, and he's ready to be offered as the lamb, the lamb that passes death over us. in In the first one, they had to kill this lamb. They killed it just before evening. None of the bones in the body of that lamb were to be broken. They drained the blood. And they put the blood in a basin at the bottom where they washed the feet and the doors. And they took hyssop and they marked the lentils and the top of the doors. The door was guarded by the cross. As Jesus was going to be there hung, hands, head, and feet. Picture of Jesus. Picture of what was going to be in the future. We've talked in our Leviticus and and. and, and Exodus and now Numbers class about how all the different sacrifices were a picture of Jesus And a picture of our devotion to God But the Passover was a special one The people who did not mark their house The firstborn would be dead And this was didn't matter whether you were Jew or any other thing if you marked your if you if you were fearful of God and you marked your house You were going to be protected very important because this is what Jesus did. He came to die for the sins of the world. All sin. Not just some. Not for only the ones who are going to accept Him. He paid the price. Jesus lived a perfect life. No sin in His life. Very amazingly, in our day and age, 56% of people who claim to be christians don't believe that jesus lived a perfect life now i don't know what they think who they think sacrificed to get them entrance into heaven but the question just is do you believe that jesus was sinless and 56 percent said no that's scary to me what are they basing their salvation on did he die imperfect and cover their sins it doesn't make sense Jesus was the perfect lamb, he was investigated, he was looked at, he was checked out. He lived in perfection, because he was the God-man, he was able to live. He didn't have a sin nature. Every other human being ever born had a sin nature. And if you think about it, your sin nature likes to sin. Just the way it is. You, know, you may not want to sin, supposedly, (laughs) you know, but you're going to sin. Paul in Romans said, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. And he goes, oh, wretched man that I am. And he went on for a whole paragraph and a half about how bad he was. You know, the spirit wanting to do right and his flesh wanting to do wrong. And we all do that. And we've talked about it many times how our, our first instinct is always going to be fleshly because we are flesh. When somebody hurts us or does something wrong to us, we want revenge, and the sooner the better. That's the flesh. Sometimes the flesh wants to be preemptive. I think this verse is gonna hurt me, so I wanna hurt them. Yeah. That's, not, that's, that's the flesh, that is, that is the way we think, and you know, we laugh about it, but it really is the way we are if we're not being led by the Spirit. The good news for us as Christians is that Jesus dwells in us, God dwells in us, he crucifies the flesh. And we can start to make godly decisions as long as we let him crucify our flesh. And Jesus came, he wanted to be the Passover, he came to be the Passover lamb. And we see he'd been telling the disciples many times, I'm going to die, I'm going to suffer. They never understood it. As far as they were concerned, they were following the king who was gonna start a kingdom right then. Yeah. He never talked about you know, going into battle and all this stuff, but he talked about establishing the kingdom. He spent a spiritual kingdom at first. He's going to establish an earthly kingdom, probably in the very near future. Yeah. Soon we're, we're gonna be taken home as, and, and spend the time in heaven for seven years while this world goes through a great troublesome time. Then he's gonna come back on the white horse and he's gonna establish his kingdom and we get to reign with him as Christians. Great time. The lion will lay with the lamb and the snakes won't be poisonous. You know, and the, you know you can, you'd be able to, to talk with all the animals, play, play with the animals. It doesn't matter what animal. But there's gonna be a perfect realm coming. That was what the Jews were waiting for. They were waiting for that coming Messiah that was gonna build a kingdom. Make Jerusalem the center of everything. They still want that because the scripture still says it's coming. And Jesus will set up Jerusalem as the center. But he had to go through this one, this place first. This event that he's getting ready to go through in preparation for the cross was foretold before the creation of anything. When man sinned, it wasn't a surprise to God. God didn't say, Oh my goodness, Adam and Eve sinned, now what are we going to do? You know, he immediately came and he said, there will come a child from the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head and the serpent will strike his heel. It wasn't, it, there was no long, thought-out process. God didn't sit up in heaven and twiddle his thumb saying, okay, what am I going to do now that they fell? He already knew. Jesus had already agreed to be the Passover lamb. And you know, I don't know why. <laughs> you know, I don't know why he would have done that. You know, Decide that we're going to create man, and, and son, I'd like you to go give your life. OK, Dad, sure. <laughs> Let's go ahead and create these men, and I'll give my life for them. We don't know what it, what is in it. You we're know, we saying, Thou art worthy. And the line in Thou, in Thou art worthy is, all things are created for your pleasure. Somehow, God gets pleasure in us. He gets enough pleasure to be willing to sacrifice for us. We can't understand that. And the thing I will tell people all over the place is, I am glad that I can't understand God. (laughs) Because if I could understand God, I have a God that I created and is way too small. So when people come to me and go, well, how can you explain this about God? I can't, and that's good. <laughs> because if I could complain, if I could I'd complain, yeah. if, I, if I could explain everything about God, and know exactly why He's made every decision He's made, I'd be God. <laughs> and the sad thing: there are many people in this world who are trying to be God. They'll say, "I like this part of Christianity. I like these. I like these verses. They're good. I don't like those. Get rid of them." You know, I like this part of. Of Buddhism (laughs) I like this part of Islam and they created a religion that they like and that is not good you know they're trying to make themselves God I'm the one that makes all the decisions I'm the one everything I believe I believe in and I have no trouble believing in and they're making themselves God we have to be careful of that as Christians too when we come across something we don't understand or don't can't comprehend in the Bible, the bad news is it's still true. <laughs> or the good news. Whether I believe it or understand it, it is still true. Because God said it. The fact that I don't understand it just means that I'm not intellectually able to understand it. Maybe God will let me understand it sometime in the future. Maybe He'll explain it in heaven. I am glad that he doesn't have everything understood because that shows his omnipotence, his omnipresence. It shows that he's bigger than anything we can comprehend. And I've shared with you, no matter how big you think God is, he's bigger than that. No matter how strong you think God is, he's stronger than that. You know, and he's gotten bigger and bigger as I've known the scriptures more and more. And even as big as I have a God, he's bigger (laughs) because he is infinitely what he is. He is infinitely omnipresent. He is infinitely omniscient. He is infinitely omnipotent. (laughs) He is much bigger than anything that we can think of, and he will always be. And yet he came as a man. Can you think of the humbleness that that took to be God and become a man? Most of your stories in in mythology have the God, if he comes down to earth, he doesn't come as a baby that is totally dependent on a parent. He shows up, or she, whatever the case might be, as an adult that's all-powerful and causes havoc for some and and, and good for others. Jesus came as a child totally dependent on his parents. He was raised up, being dependent on parents. It says in the story about him going into Passover at 12 years old that he made himself subject to his parents. Even though then he was becoming aware of I have a higher calling, because he told him, "Didn't you know I'd be about my father's business?" I have to be here. I have to be here. I have to tell them about the father I have to share with them. And yet he made himself subject to his parents for another 18 years before he went to into service. And we may have some problems being subject to, to, to boss or a family or whatever. You know, we. we we were chafing at it this is god who made himself subject to inferior parents because anything's inferior to god he made himself subject to the roman government because they were in charge he understood submission you know, i love talking to people who say well i'm a really submitted person as long as i like what's like what i'm being led <laughs> you know we all know what that feeling is. Sometimes when we're dealing with the government, <laughs> who we're supposed to be submitted to, and we gripe and complain and, and moan and groan about all their decisions. And I'm not saying we have a great government, don't get me wrong. You know, unfortunately though, we get the government the country deserves. And God, Otherwise God wouldn't have put it in place. Israel got the government that they deserved back in Jesus' day, otherwise They wouldn't have been in place but you know we don't need to learn submission jesus was the perfect picture of submission you want to talk about being inferior you know being submitted to inferior people this is god almighty being subject to his parents on earth he comes to this time of passover Remember, the, the disciples have never understood. When he keeps saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, they're not hearing what he's saying. Sad thing is we do the same thing so often when we're in God's word and he speaks to us. A lot of times we will go and, wow, I think there's something important here, but I just don't want to understand it. Have you ever had God say it to you and you knew he was saying, I want you to go someplace or talk to somebody and you have a choice how often do we say no when I, when god was telling us to move to kingman i argued with him i didn't want to come to kingman it just turned out to be one of the best decisions we've made you know listening to god but the last place i wanted to come was to kingman i'm looking at it from the flesh and saying god what am i going to do for a living i'm a computer programmer at the time you know there's no pro computer programmers programming in Kingman and go. But he said, go. I'm going to tell you right up. I haven't always been obedient to have gone places I shouldn't have gone and done things, and not gone places I knew that, he, that I should have gone. But it's good when you obey God and you see his blessings. We look at somebody like Joseph, who sold into slavery, accused, falsely accused of rape. At any time, he could have said, God, you're not worth following. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go do my own thing and be a little happy once in a while. And he would have lost out the final blessing of being promoted to the number 2 man in Egypt. How often does God ask us to do something that looks like it makes no sense? Frequently, because we don't have the sight that he has. We need to listen to God. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross he's at this point in time he's 24 hours away from being on a cross less than 24 hours from being on a cross and he's telling the disciples I'm going and he elevates to them the Passover meal he takes the bread and he says this is my body sacrificed for you do you realize Jesus took not only our sin, but he took the punishment that sin deserves. He was struck with a flagellum. And don't get into this thing, a lot of people say he was struck 39 times because they think that he was struck by Jews. He was struck by Romans. Romans didn't have a restriction on how many times they could hit him. They had one restriction. When they were scourging the person, they couldn't kill him. That was the only restriction they had. They could hit him a hundred times if they wanted to as long as he didn't die. Now if they died, they were in trouble because their job was to cause as much pain and they were good at it. His body took the pain for all that we deserved. That does not mean we're not going to have any pain in our life, no. Because sin has consequence. Our sin debt has been paid for, but our consequence is still there. Sowing and reaping. You do wrong, you're going to reap. The results of that wrongdoing. God can step in and stop the consequences. He doesn't usually. You go get drunk and go out and drive and run your car into a tree, break your back and several of your bones are going to be sore for at least a time it takes them to heal and if you've broken your back probably for the rest of your life because you sinned and went out and did something you shouldn't do. Sin has consequences. Sin has consequences in long term. How many of us in our older days are suffering because of how bad we took care of ourselves and the sins we committed in our earlier days? And then we suffer as we're older because of it. Sin has consequence. But Jesus paid for the sin's punishment. Then he told him, This is my blood of the new covenant. The new covenant. The Old Covenant was with, with Abraham, circumcision, went through Moses, the law. Keep the laws, keep these sacrifices. And Paul told us that the law, sin, the law was there to just show us that we're sinners. doesn't mean the law is bad. Yeah. If you eat the, the things that God said to, to eat and don't eat the things that he said don't eat, you will be healthier. You, know, you will be, that's what science tells us. Some of that stuff that's not allowed is very tasty. Uh, But he gave us a bunch of laws and he said, I want to show you that you're sinners. And all of these sacrifices showed that you needed God. God, I want to honor you. Jesus fulfilled the law, gave his sacrifice so that we could spend eternity with him by grace. Not having earned it, We do not deserve heaven. We do not deserve forgiveness. There's a lot of people who say, well, I deserve it, I I, I trust in Him. No, you still don't deserve it. It's still by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. God's not going to let us get in the way. He's not going to say, well, you were just more righteous than everybody, so I accepted you. Nope. Our righteousness is filthy rags. He looks down and says, This is the covenant. I paid for it by my blood. My life was given so that we could be saved. And you realize when we think about this, the nails were not what held Jesus to that cross, his love for us held him to that cross. He was God at any point in time during that whole beating and pounding of the fist on his face, the hanging on the cross with the nails, the suffocation that he was going through. He could have just told the Father, these people are not worth it, I'm coming back home. And yet he hung on a cross, hung there for us. And at any time just could have said, called all of the angels and said, hey, come, come take care of, you know, wipe these people out. They're not worth it. We see in the Bible where one angel kills 72,000 enemies. And Jesus told him, I've got 12 legions at my disposal. 12 legions of angels. At any time, he could have just said, Father, I'm, you know, I'm not paying this price. They're not worth it. He was God. He could have done it. We'd have been without hope. Satan would have had his victory in one sense. He would have still been judged, but he would have had all of God's creation. And yet he hung on that cross to give his life for us. I can't understand that kind of love. None of us can understand that kind of love. The cru- Crucifixion was one of the cruelest punishments ever devised for execution. Jesus died so quickly because of the sin he took upon himself. But many people hung on a cross for weeks at a time before they died. Mm-hmm. And he took our sins and died quickly. We want to keep that in remembrance, not to make us sad or depressed, because we've got resurrection Sunday coming. <laughs> he died, though, so that we can be bought. And we need to remember the price of our salvation, the price it took to get us to be able to be accepted by the Father, It was not cheap. There are a lot of people who think that, you know, well, I'm just going to accept Jesus and then I can do whatever I want. Well, technically you can, but that is really making light of what he did for us. The sacrifice that he made for us, to buy us, to win us the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb that was sacrificed for us. We're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you loved us. Lord, help us to always remember the price paid for us. Lord, help us to remember the price paid for all those around us so that we can be motivated to share the gospel with others. Lord, if there's anybody in in this location or that listens to this tape that doesn't know you, Lord, we ask that you put it in their heart to turn to you, to admit that they're a sinner to know that they deserve punishment to and accept your sacrifice and, and forgiveness and ask you to be their Lord and Savior. And if anybody does that, Lord, that they will contact another Christian to tell them about it. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.